I really didn't think that the Digital Electronic World podcast was ready for commentary from me regarding this type of conversation in regards to the Overwatch. The Overwatch being these individuals which actually get paid to play video games. Now what you hear in the background is commentators who are talking about people who play championships actually in regards to let me mute this for a second so I can actually have a conversation. Right now, there's some kind of competition between the San Francisco Shock and Vancouver Titans, which they're having... One moment. Okay, now this is worthy of some kind of commentary, but I really didn't think it was worth my podcast. However... They actually have TV time right now. Interesting. Let me head back outside to what I consider live time, real time, people sports. Not that Overwatch is not a people sport. However, it truly does venture into a new realm of sports. The question has to be asked. Does playing video games for a living and being paid and does having sponsorship for this qualify one as truly playing the sport when in some places that is considered more of a hobby let's think about that for a moment sports themselves are most of the time a hobby are they not moment to think moment to ponder yes you hear a lot in the background because I am outside enjoying a Sunday afternoon and a Sunday afternoons mean people do enjoy Sunday games league games I think they are more than pickup games where people just gather and start up a game they are League games, and as such, everybody gathers round and enjoys wonderful, good sportsmanlike conduct and healthy competition. Now, back to the question of does playing sports in what is called the Overwatch League, in this realm of 
Actually, it is truly in the digital electronic world because the players are playing truly digitally, truly electronically. They don't actually see each other other than on monitors. Does that qualify them as playing sports? Because they aren't actually playing, are they? Or are they? Even when they are playing, it's all digital. So we must ask ourselves, what then happens to the true sports and the true athletes? Because they will continue to play, but they suddenly are competing in a different realm. And then we do have to consider there are the players the humans and then there are the androids the machines so interesting and the people behind the machines but the machines are not getting paid it's the people behind the machines fascinating Digital Electronic World Report. My report has always been around how we balance between our human world and our digital electronic world presence. Well, I was suddenly surprised to see these announcers who were announcing and about a game that was in a robotic realm because it isn't human but one must ask themselves because it truly is San Francisco Shock versus Vancouver Titans but they're not actually present in a place other than a digital electronic world and you can just hear them because they actually are announcing it against this interesting virtual world. And I just hit the mute button to unmute. You can hear it. It's kind of interesting. This is a whole different perspective. Now, it's so bizarre to me. I've seen this in terms of when I go visit nephews. But I've never actually seen it on regular television. Bizarre. Is this what we should expect in our everyday lives? That we should end up living in a virtual perspective? 
that we should get our news in this way in the future because our interactions shouldn't remain in a virtual sense. This is not how I want to communicate with people in the future. Though, is this what inevitably we will come to expect? So interesting. I certainly hope that the designers of these games will take into account video games should not circle around so much violence. All I see here is people wanting to use weaponry. Can they not sit around a table and have conversations? Are there not realms where they actually can have combos and slow it down a little bit? Um, what kind of adrenaline do they really think? I mean, if I change the channel and then I look at the sports that are actual human sports, that is a little more realistic. However, because it's calm, it follows a rhythm, it's realistic. And then you go to the next channel. There's a show. Well, it's a commercial, but when I was talking about the sports, wanted to give you a perspective of what is on the other channels, which there might be other sports, but they certainly follow a cadence, a rhythm that's not necessarily what is going on. If I were to watch this for two hours, my blood pressure would go to a level that I would not want it to stay at. Let me just tell you that. So interesting. I need to meet that for Anyway, um, certainly not something that I would watch for any long period of time. A little play that. I think what I can just see from watching this. I'm gonna check my blood pressure in a second. Is I gotta take a deep breath. Um, what I can see from just watching this is the adrenaline goes up in in an instant. And um, if someone doesn't have true perspective on what is going on, because obviously you can start all over these things um, are so non-realistic. They don't, if you don't have a sense of this is 
not realistic. Um, oh, it's so violent. Um, you would get stuck in this concept that you just you start all over and you want to, you want to have another um, start over, a do over, a do over, a do over, a start over. Not realistic. No, I'd rather have like a calm, relaxing. show that would ease the mind I mean, why would anybody want to be in a sport that is going to drive their blood pressure through the roof that is going to give them the kind of adrenaline that is going to increase their Maybe that's why they actually go into sports. Perhaps I do not know what I'm talking about. Then again, I have outlived many things in my life, and so perhaps I know more about what I'm talking about than most people, and that is exactly why I have outlived many things. In fact, while I may not have the ability to articulate in a way that most people may find me understandable. I will say this, there's an interesting study by WebMD that is, has been recently starting to look at resilience. Um, so many people use that word. They use it in fact like it's um, the latest fresh piece of gum these days that everybody wants. Um, and what I found was, when I was reading the article, uh, was that you wouldn't find resilience something to be a part of a study. Uh, most people have heard of how mindfulness is something that uh, has been studied in the way People want to look at how do people find ways to calm their mind? How do people meditate? What is the best way when, uh, when the methodology was being looked at in terms of what was the best method for people to relax their, their mind? What would, was it a religion? Was it a, a way of thinking? What was the methodology? How do people calm their heartbeat? How do people find a way to look into their soul, to relax? There were several ways that people 
were studied. And so there was a particular, and I'll refer you to Scientific America, American, or actually Scientific America, um, and so you can look it up. And they did actually look, uh, study uh, proper methodologies utilized, of course. But then even after that, they realized that there were holes in their in their methodology because they hadn't gone far enough. Although they had looked at this, that study years later had not gone far enough. Obviously, whenever there's a study, then years later you can go further and, and look at something else. But mindfulness at that time, when the study was done, mindfulness became the catchphrase, the, the way to look at things. And it was identified, and the Dalai Lama was the spokesman, if you will, for, for the concept for the best methodology of the time. Because many people found that meditation, um, a combination of yoga and, and other concepts, were the best way to calm the mind. And people tried it. So in so many individuals that were having difficulties with de-stressing, decompressing the mind, if you will, they began to look at ways to relax the mind. But recently then, thereafter, it was found that it wasn't the only method. People were actually looking at multiple ways. So it wasn't just one religion that could be utilized. And that's where then it was determined. Now, well, how could that be? How could you have one religion and then another religion and then another religion? Like, how is that possible to compound the mind with multiple uh, religious methodologies and religious concepts? Well, actually, the human brain is quite complex. Everybody knows that. In fact, studying the brain is so complex that we haven't even begun as humans, as scientists, as neurologists, as neuroscientists, to look at the entirety of the brain because it is so vast. And part of that is because the brain is so malleable, it changes over time. We, do, we have changed as humans over time. That's what we do as mammals. Uh, we learn to adapt because we learn to adapt, we change based on our surroundings. So does our scientific criterion. And as such, we learn new things. But realistically, we haven't even begun to learn all we can about what happens inside the brain. What we have learned, though, is that there is so much capacity in what we can learn about what happens to the mind and within the mind that, as I was referring to when it comes to our ability to wind down the mind and relax it, it isn't just one methodology that we're forced to utilize. We actually can encompass multiple learnings, multiple methodologies of, dare I say, religiosity. And while that may not be a word, I'm using it for this particular purpose. So, what does that mean? That you can actually grow up with one particular religion, and then over time, learn another religion, and have that compounding effect, 
while respecting the original religion and not necessarily having the offend the sense of offending the the original religion that you grew up with now how is that possible If you have a foundation, and I'm not talking about a foundation where there's a charitable organization. I'm talking about a foundation where you grow up with values, a value set. Having a foundation of values where you grow up recognizing between things that are important. I would say right or wrong in this sense, but I don't want you to be confused with um, polarizing things in terms of um, things to the left or things to the right. That's not what I mean by that. I mean uh, a sense of things that are essentially important and essentially things that can be left behind when you are, you are having to make a moral decision and knowing that it's okay. So if you have to make a decision and you have to choose what is most important, these are the moments where you go back to what is your foundational upbringing? What were you taught? And based on what you were taught, how, what are the things that you can go back to and say, okay, no, no, no I remember that this was so important that I can... I can make a big decision and know what is correct. And then as you learn new things, new religions or new belief systems, you can uh, decide, okay, well, that, uh, that, uh, kind, that can kind of work. Or no, no, that doesn't work because I know essentially what is really important to me. Or, no, absolutely, that is not acceptable based on what I believe. And I can have really great conversations with people who I do not believe in the same value set. However, I'm going to respect the fact that I don't believe what they believe in. However, I have a very strong belief system. And then I can walk away still respecting that individual, but I just don't believe what they believe in. And that doesn't mean that I kick and scream at them. However, I can respect them as individuals. When someone has a very strong foundation in themselves as a value set, they can have strong conversations and not offend somebody else. However, when they don't have a strong value set, they can be all over the place and offending other people all over the place because they absolutely are trying so hard to hurt somebody else because they don't know who they are themselves. And in not knowing who they are, they're trying so hard to, in a hurtful way, offend somebody else for who they are because they themselves don't know who, who who they have become or who they are becoming. And in the sense of 
when a person has a strong foundation of value of values they already know who they are as a person so they can listen to other people not agree with them but then have a conversation and still walk away a very strong person sometimes people confuse that for a person who is absolutely um disagreeable because they only stand as one individual who only has one way of thinking without recognizing that they actually have um, an open mind and they know many, many things beyond that particular opinion, but actually not recognizing that they actually might know more than one thing. They often get shut down based on one conversation. And so why is this important in the sense of things changing when we can have conversations with people that are different than us us meaning anyone who has a differing opinion it doesn't become a dichotomy it becomes a plethora a plethora is a kaleidoscope of concepts, of ideas. And when you have a plethora, you have a broader perspective. Think about for a moment how many people you've been able to have conversations with that have expanded into multiple subjects and then you've concluded with a positive interaction and later resumed a wonderful friendship. It's those individuals that are friends that recognize how important your perspective is and they recognize the strength of your values and you have allowed yourself to share your values with them. That is the kind of important interactions that are necessary in life. And it's often when daily personal interactions happen that conversations such as those can exist. 
I suppose when it's the nuanced short-sighted it can only be one way nothing else is possible than one particular thing that is when a dichotomy occurs and that is the unfortunate resulting as I mentioned, dichotomy, where there are only two perspectives. It's this way or it's that way. And when it's this way or it's that way, too many opinions are shut down. And you often don't want to shut people down because when you do, you not only lose a conversation, you lose perspectives. And you miss out, other people miss out on what could easily have been the ability to clarify and the ability to open each other's worlds into new perspectives. be back after this break and welcome back from the break so let me dovetail back to the comment I was making about the study I recently read about on webmd.com on a recent magazine article again the study on resilience you wouldn't normally think resilience would be studied why is that? Resilience is a word, a term just kind of thrown about here or there. People say they're resilient because, oh my gosh, they got up a little bit earlier than normal. They're resilient. Um, let's see, they um, worked a little more than they normally do. They're resilient. They drove long-distance road trip. They're resilient. Well, I tend to not think that's resilient compared to someone who lives 110 years. That's resilience. Um, resilience can be somebody who outlives tremendous circumstances who has a disease and then outlives it, goes into remission from cancer twice or three times or four times or five times, something just phenomenal. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I consider resilience. And we hear about things like this so often. There was recently story in the news 
of a young lady named Tessa who had part of her leg amputated and she continued to pursue her passion of dance or tumbling and gymnastics and they considered her resilient. Yes, I agree, that's resilience. And I wrote a note on my Instagram in response to that, that yes, I know a thing or two about resilience and I consider her resilient. Now, what did I mean I know a thing or two about resilience? Well, yes, my heart has been known to stop at least twice. I know a thing or two about resilience. I considered my mother resilient for some of the things she had been through. And I don't use that term lightly. Uh, and so when I saw that... article that they were studying resilience. I was curious. Why? And so I then hearkened back to the study in Scientific America that had talked about mindfulness and it connected back to a study years ago. And then later then there was a study that talked about, well, they had updated it, and there were actually other methodologies that had also uh, been useful in referencing. And then I started talking, as I'm recapping for you, that it would behoove anyone to truly look into their own thinking as to what would work for them. So I'm not going to tell any one person what would work best for any one individual. Obviously, every single person knows what's best for them at their particular moment in time for their particular circumstance and their particular value set. However, it obviously... as a best practice, makes sense, and has been known to be a most effective, meaning that it works for many, many people, has been known to be a most effective usefulness of sorts when individuals are open-minded meaning when they develop a sense of empathy and they understand that their foundational values can be so strong that they are able to be open and allow themselves to listen to other people and what other people believe. So, What does that mean? When I was previously talking about the virtualness of the people playing video games 
through the Overwatch competition and how quickly and rapidly that was accelerating in the gameplay itself. Now, I wasn't saying they shouldn't do that at all. Stop the play. Don't don't cover it. Change the channel. Of course someone could change the channel if they didn't want to watch it. Now and then I said, I'm gonna check I'm gonna check my blood pressure. I'm gonna check and then I even stopped talking for a second there. Even right now my breath changed as I was trying to explain it. Why would I have done such a thing? And said such a thing? Well I can tell you that just by watching it my blood pressure was going up. And I could tell that because I know my own reactions, my body reactions, and I knew what I needed to do based on the way my body reacts. And just earlier this morning, my own heartbeat was at 121. Now, anybody could say that 121 is a little accelerated. And that is correct. Now, earlier this week, since I check my heartbeat regularly, I know that earlier this week, my heartbeat was at 39. Now that's low. That's much too low. So I recognized that that was too low, and I tried to keep myself as warm as possible and put as many layers on it, layers on as I could. So I am well aware of how my body reacts at particular times, as most people would be, who are aware that their heartbeats fluctuate. But the point that I'm making is, when people know that their bodies react or their heartbeats react, then they need to know a certain things are not for them. That particular competition would not have been for me. I would not consider that to be part of something that I would be around. Certainly, I knew exactly as I was watching, my heartbeat was changing, and it was running too fast, and I needed to change matters right away. So, what does that mean for me? That is something I would not be around. Thus, I also recognize what would be a healthier sport to be around. If I was going to do sports, goes to show why my podcast often doesn't revolve around sports. It revolves more around literary or more broad societal conversation, analytical concepts. Yes, sometimes the occasional mathematical formula. That's my forte. I know my strengths. Now, have I ever walked a mile? Yes, I have. Is it something that I have as a strength? That's not my strength. I know what my strengths are. I focus on my strengths. 
as people should. And now, a break. And welcome from the break. I didn't want to give the impression in the previous segment that I didn't have any understanding of what the Overwatch um, League was about. Certainly I had heard about it in theory. I just hadn't seen the actual competition live and with announcers and analysts happening. And I think that's what really caught me off guard and why I was a little bit flabbergasted when I saw that. And so I wanted to clarify. I think what perspective I wanted to better understand was what we are embarking on as a global society when we have teams that are getting paid to play, and I don't mean payola, in the sense of, because I just said paid to play. I'm talking literally. They are playing video games and getting paid a salary. Um, what I mean by payola is people who were, the term payola is um, uh, in certain circumstances uh, were getting uh, paid for... Well, in the record industry, in the recording industry, they were paying to have their particular uh, records get pay, uh, get played more often. Um, so that's where that term came about, just to clarify. And not that that happens um, as frequently anymore, since it has uh, been... That was something that was exposed many, many years ago. So, but since I, I said it in that particular sequence, um, I had to make sure that I clarify that's not what I was referring to. Uh, so back to what I was talking about. When it comes to uh, the particular teams that are receiving a salary for... video gaming live. This is interesting in a precarious situation because they are in a particular virtual concept world. However, they are in a true sense real time. But what is different about this is we have sports teams that are playing real-time in real perspective. And that's what I was trying to acknowledge. But what I failed to additionally clarify is the salaries and where those are coming from and the leagues that they are playing against. Because you also have the salaries that they are up against. The monies that they are up against. The conversations of 
how the players get paid. Is this true money? Is this virtual money? In other words, are the Overwatch players being paid by Bitcoin? Are they being paid by salary, dollars and cents, currency, or other? So this is important because when we talk about how are they then reporting their earnings, are they entering a world or have they already entered a world that is additionally virtual? And then how is that regulated? So, it's so important because not only is their world virtual that they're playing in, but their salary is also potentially virtual. In this conversation, has not been fully vetted in terms of best understood So that's an important piece that I didn't discuss previously. And I think it does have to be looked at, it does have to be understood. All the players, are they playing in one particular area? Now while some might be, others are not because they are meeting in some places. Are their peers meeting in other locales? How are their salaries being regulated? Are they applying for their work? Is it fair how, how they are applying? Um, do they apply in the same way another employee might apply? Is it fair hiring practices? Um, one must really look at that in the same way that one would be hired in any other employment position. So, lots of different things to consider. So on and so forth. And then is the salary fair? Is it as fair as it would be in any other um, area? Much like new areas that are being undertaken, there often are new areas that need to be, new questions that need to be answered. So this is definitely an area that has new possibilities with many questions.
And until another day, that's all commentary for today. Here on the Dewpoint Report. Have a great day. I really didn't think that the Digital Electronic World podcast was ready for commentary from me regarding this type of conversation in regards to the Overwatch. The Overwatch being these individuals which actually get paid to play video games. Now what you hear in the background is commentators who are talking about people who play championships actually in regards to let me mute this for a second so I can actually have a conversation. Right now there's some kind of competition between the San Francisco Shock and Vancouver Titans which they're having one moment. Okay, now this is worthy of some kind of commentary, but I really didn't think it was worth my podcast. However, they actually have TV time right now. Interesting. Let me head back outside to what I consider live time, real time people sports. Not that Overwatch is not a people sport. However, it truly does venture into a new realm of sports. The question has to be asked. Does playing video games for a living and being paid and does having sponsorship for this qualify one as truly plain the sport when in some places that is considered more of a hobby let's think about that for a moment Sports themselves are most of the time a hobby, are they not? Moment to think, moment to ponder. Yes, you hear a lot in the background because I am outside enjoying a Sunday afternoon. And a Sunday afternoons mean people do enjoy Sunday games, league games, I think they are more than pickup games where people just gather and start up a game. They are league games. And as such, Everybody gathers round and enjoys wonderful, good sportsmanlike conduct and healthy competition. Now, back to the question of does 
playing sports in what is called the Overwatch League in this realm of actually it is truly in the digital electronic world because the players are playing truly digitally truly electronically they don't actually see each other other than on monitors does that qualify them as playing sports because they aren't actually playing are they or are they Even when they are playing, it's all digital. So we must ask ourselves, what then happens to the true sports and the true athletes? Because they will continue to play, but they suddenly are competing in a different realm and then we do have to consider there are the players the humans and then there are the androids the machines. So interesting. And the people behind the machines. But the machines are not getting paid. It's the people behind the machines. Fascinating. Digital Electronic World Report. My report has always been around how we balance between our human world and our digital electronic world presence. Well, I was suddenly surprised to see these announcers who were announcing and about a game that was in a robotic realm because it isn't human but one must ask themselves because it truly is San Francisco Shock versus Vancouver Titans but they're not actually present in a place other than a digital electronic world and you can just hear them because they actually are announcing against this interesting virtual world. And I just hit the mute button to unmute. You can hear it. It's kind of interesting. This is a whole different perspective. Now, that's so bizarre to me. I've seen this in terms of when I go visit nephews. But I've never actually seen it on regular television. Bizarre. 
is this what we should expect in our everyday lives? That we should end up living in a virtual perspective? That we should get our news in this way in the future? Because our interactions shouldn't remain in a virtual sense. This is not how I want to communicate with people in the future. Though, is this what inevitably we will come to expect? So interesting. I certainly hope that the designers of these games will take into account video games should not circle around so much violence. All I see here is people wanting to use weaponry. Can they not sit around a table and have conversations? Are there not realms where they actually can have convos and slow it down a little bit? Um, what kind of adrenaline do they really think? I mean, if I change the channel and then I look at the sports that are actual human sports, that is a little more realistic. However, because it's calm, it follows a rhythm, it's realistic. And then you go to the next channel. There's a show. Well, it's a commercial, but when I was talking about the sports, wanted to give you a perspective of what is on the other channels, which there may be other sports, but they certainly follow a cadence, a rhythm that's not necessarily what is going on. If I were to watch this for two hours, my blood pressure would go to a level that I would not want it to stay at. Let me just tell you that. So interesting. I need to meet that for Anyway, um, certainly not something that I would watch for any long period of time. A little play that. I think what I can just see from watching this. I'm gonna check my blood pressure in a second. Is I gotta take a deep breath. Um, what I can see from just watching this is the adrenaline goes up in in an instant. And um, if someone doesn't have true perspective on what is going on, because obviously you can start all over these things um, 
are so non-realistic. They don't, if you don't have a sense of this is not realistic, um, Oh, it's so violent. Um, you would get stuck in this concept that you just you start all over and you want you want to have another um, start over, a do over, a do over, do over, a start over. Not realistic. No, I'd rather have like a calm, relaxing. show that would ease the mind and why would anybody want to be in a sport that is going to drive their blood pressure through the roof that is going to give them the kind of adrenaline that is going to increase their Maybe that's why they actually go into sports. Perhaps I do not know what I'm talking about. But then again, I have outlived many things in my life. And so perhaps I know more about what I'm talking about than most people. And that is exactly why I have outlived many things. In fact, while I may not have the ability to articulate in a way that most people may find me understandable. I will say this, there's an interesting study by WebMD that is, has been recently starting to look at resilience. Um, so many people use that word. They use it in fact like it's um, the latest fresh piece of gum these days that everybody wants. Um, and what I found was, when I was reading the article, uh, was that you wouldn't find resilience something to be a part of a study. Uh, most people have heard of how mindfulness is something that uh, has been studied in the way People want to look at how do people find ways to calm their mind? How do people meditate? What is the best way when, uh, when the methodology was being looked at in terms of what was the best method for people to relax their, their mind? What would, was it a religion? Was it a, a way of thinking? What was the methodology? How do people calm their heartbeat? How do people 
find a way to look into their soul, to relax. There were several ways that people were studied. And so there was a particular, and I'll refer you to Scientific America, American, or actually Scientific America. Um, and so you can look it up. And they did actually look, uh, study uh, proper methodologies utilized, of course. But then even after that, they realized that there were holes in their in their methodology because they hadn't gone far enough. Although they had looked at this, that study, years later, had not gone far enough. Obviously, whenever there's a study, then years later, you can go further and, and look at something else. But mindfulness at that time, when the study was done, mindfulness became the catchphrase, the, the way to look at things. And it was identified, and the Dalai Lama was the spokesman, if you will, for, for the concept for the best methodology of the time. Because many people found that meditation, um, a combination of yoga and, and other concepts, were the best way to calm the mind. And people tried it. So in so many individuals that were having difficulties with de-stressing, decompressing the mind, if you will, they began to look at ways to relax the mind. But recently then, thereafter, it was found that it wasn't the only method. People were actually looking at multiple ways. So it wasn't just one religion that could be utilized. And that's where then it was determined. Now, well, how could that be? How could you have one religion and then another religion and then another religion? Like, how is that possible to compound the mind with multiple uh, religious methodologies and religious concepts? Well, actually, the human brain is quite complex. Everybody knows that. In fact, studying the brain is so complex that we haven't even begun as humans, as scientists, as neurologists, as neuroscientists, to look at the entirety of the brain because it is so vast. And part of that is because the brain is so malleable, it changes over time. We, do, we have changed as humans over time. That's what we do as mammals. Uh, we learn to adapt because we learn to adapt, we change based on our surroundings. So does our scientific criterion. And as such, we learn new things. But realistically, we haven't even begun to learn all we can about what happens inside the brain. What we have learned, though, is that there is so much capacity in what we can learn about what happens to the mind and within the mind that, as I was referring to when it comes to our ability to wind down the mind and relax it, it isn't just one methodology that we're forced to utilize. We actually can encompass multiple learnings, multiple methodologies of, dare I say, religiosity. And while that may not be a word, I'm using it for this particular purpose. So, what does that mean? That you can actually grow up with one particular religion 
and then over time learn another religion and have that compounding effect while respecting the original religion and not necessarily having the offend the sense of offending the the original religion that you grew up with. Now, how is that possible? If you have a foundation, and I'm not talking about a foundation where there's a charitable organization. I'm talking about a foundation where you grow up with values, a value set. Having a foundation of values where you grow up recognizing between things that are important, I would say right or wrong in this sense, but I don't want you to be confused with um, polarizing things in terms of um, things to the left or things to the right. That's not what I mean by that. I mean uh, a sense of things that are essentially important and essentially things that can be left behind when you are, you are having to make a moral decision and knowing that it's okay. So if you have to make a decision and you have to choose what is most important, these are the moments where you go back to what is your foundational upbringing? What were you taught? And based on what you were taught, how, what are the things that you can go back to and say, okay, no, no, no I remember that this was so important that I can... I can make a big decision and know what is correct. And then as you learn new things, new religions or new belief systems, you can uh, decide, okay, well, that, uh, that, uh, kind of, that can kind of work. Or no, no, that doesn't work because I know essentially what is really important to me. Or, no, absolutely, that is not acceptable based on what I believe. And I can have really great conversations with people who I do not believe in the same value set. However, I'm going to respect the fact that I don't believe what they believe in. However, I have a very strong belief system. And then I can walk away still respecting that individual, but I just don't believe what they believe in. And that doesn't mean that I kick and scream at them. However, I can respect them as individuals. When someone has a very strong foundation in themselves as a value set, they can have strong conversations and not offend somebody else. However, when they don't have a strong value set, they can be all over the place and offending other people all over the place because they absolutely are trying so hard to hurt somebody else because they don't know who they are themselves. And in not knowing who they are, they're trying so hard to, in a hurtful way, offend somebody else for who they are because they themselves don't know who, who, 
who they have become or who they are becoming. And in the sense of when a person has a strong foundation of value, of values, they already know who they are as a person. So they can listen to other people, not agree with them, but then have a conversation and still walk away a very strong person. Sometimes people confuse that for a person who is absolutely um, disagreeable because they only stand as one individual who only has one way of thinking without recognizing that they actually have um, an open mind and they know many, many things beyond that particular opinion, but actually not recognizing that they actually might know more than one thing. They often get shut down based on one conversation. And so why is this important in the sense of things changing when we can have conversations with people that are different than us us meaning anyone who has a differing opinion it doesn't become a dichotomy it becomes a plethora a plethora is a kaleidoscope of concepts, of ideas. And when you have a plethora, you have a broader perspective. Think about for a moment how many people you've been able to have conversations with that have expanded into multiple subjects and then you've concluded with a positive interaction and later resumed a wonderful friendship. It's those individuals that are friends that recognize how important your perspective is and they recognize the strength of your values and you have allowed yourself to share your values with them. That is the kind of important interactions that are necessary in life. And it's often when
daily personal interactions happen, that conversations such as those can exist. I suppose when it's the nuanced short-sighted it can only be one way nothing else is possible than one particular thing that is when a dichotomy occurs and that is the unfortunate resulting as I mentioned, dichotomy, where there are only two perspectives. It's this way or it's that way. And when it's this way or it's that way, too many opinions are shut down and often don't want to shut people down because when you do, you not only lose a conversation, you lose perspectives. And you miss out, other people miss out on what could easily have been the ability to clarify and the ability to open each other's worlds into new perspectives. be back after this break.